Hey, have you ever had a moment in your life where you were trying to communicate with someone and you just realized it wasn't happening? Sometimes this comes up when we are trying to speak to someone who speaks a different language than us. And maybe we're in a different country or something. And we think if we say it slower and louder, they'll get it. So it's something like this. Where's the bathroom? Me no speak the English. Where is the bathroom? <laughs> I still no speak the English. Anyway. <laughs> well, the title of this message is taken from Mark 8.21, where Jesus, if you want to look with me, Mark 8.21 says, Do you not yet understand? You'll notice in the title behind me, the words get bigger. For emphasis sake, do you not yet understand? <laughs> or if we would say it in the Italian, capisce? <laughs> would you pray with me? <laughs> Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we realize that until we have really acted upon a Bible verse, the question is, do we really believe it? And have we really heard it? Well, Jesus, we know that as you took the disciples on this three, three and a half year uh, ultimate training, uh, you were trying to get drive points home, and they didn't always get it. And their lack of getting things is really hopeful for us who are slow learners sometimes. So, Father, we pray that your, your light would be, your word would be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that it would go deep, that it would divide even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows it, and marrow it would discern our thoughts and, our, and the intents of our heart your searchlight lord would go deep the bread of god would come into our lives and be food for the soul today you know where every person is at spiritually today so lord we just want to lay this time at your feet and pray you'd be glorified in it we pray in jesus name amen now what we have before us is the feeding of the four thousand the second miracle feeding that jesus does in the new testament and some liberal scholars, some critics of the Bible have said, oh, this is impossible. Mark was just repeating an earlier miracle with the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children. There's no way the disciples could have been that stupid to ask the same question again. Here's what they ask. Lord, where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? They ask it a second time. And the critic of the Bible says they couldn't have been that stupid. Uh, apparently they don't know the type of people I know. Because I don't know about you, but for me personally, I have to hear things much more than one time. Have you ever had to retake a test, spiritually speaking? Have you ever had God just try to kind of re-impress on you the same lesson? Can I get a witness? Oh yeah. I don't think it should be surprising at all that the Lord repeats a feeding miracle in the Bible. And let me tell you the distinctions between the two. In the first feeding miracle, Jesus is on the Jewish side of the lake. In the second one, he's on the Gentile side. In the first miracle, he feeds 5,000 plus women and children. In the second, 4,000 plus women and children. The first one happens in Bethsaida. The second one in the Decapolis. We'll talk about that in a second. The first miracle is five loaves and two fish. The second miracle is seven loaves and a few fish. Both miracles involve fish and bread. This seems to bother some people. They say, oh, it's a, the same things. Well, uh, I've got news for you. These were staples in that time. Bread and fish were staples. How many times do you eat the same meal every week? How many of you eat chicken a lot? 
or fish or whatever. I heard a comedian, he was talking about Mexican food. I love Mexican food. I'm sure you do as well. If you don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. But he said, you know, could you imagine someone going into a Mexican restaurant who had never really had Mexican food and asking about the menu? Something like this. Uh, what's a taco? Well, it's a tortilla with meat and a cheese. What's a burrito? Well, it's a tortilla with meat and a bean and a cheese. How about that uh, Mexican pizza? Well, it's a tortilla with a meat and a bean and a cheese. Uh, What's that chimichanga up there? Well, it's a tortilla with a meat and a beans and a cheese. Now, I'm sure you're all tracking with me. This is not deeply difficult to figure out. So critics of the Bible, you know, the last miracle was with bread and fish. Yeah, not difficult to figure out. In the one miracle, they take up 12 baskets on the Jewish side of the lake. In the other miracle, seven baskets. We'll look at that. And then finally, Jesus makes a distinction between the two miracles. Just look ahead in verse 19 when he says, When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. Verse 20, Mark 8. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, Seven point, just keep reading in your Bible and you can answer most of the so-called critics' questions. So what we have before us is, do you not yet understand? Jesus had to reteach lessons to the disciples like he reteaches them to us. It would be good if we all realize that God does this so that when we have to retake spiritual tests in life, we're not surprised. In fact, I think the biblical model is something like this. Until you pass the test, you just keep retaking it. And so this is kind of how it was going for the disciples. They did not yet understand. Jesus seems to be really frustrated with them. It says, Mark 8, verse 1, In those days again, keyword again, when there was a great multitude, Mark 8, 1, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples and said to them, now, the area that this takes place is the area of the Decapolis. If you look back in, in, in verse 31, Mark 7, 31, it says, again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon. That's where he healed the uh, daughter of the Syrophoenician woman of demon possession. He went through that area to the Sea of Galilee, notice, within the region of Decapolis. See that word, Decapolis? That's two Greek words, deca and polis. Deca means ten, where we get the idea of the Decalogue, and polis means city. So these were ten pagan cities. They were founded by the Greeks in the, around the 60s uh, B.C. is my understanding. And then they were kind of developed by the Romans. And today there are archaeological digs that have taken place that have un uncovered some of the ruins of these cities, what's called the Decapolis. You might remember that it's in the Decapolis that Jesus heals the man who is filled with a legion of demons. And the man is in his right mind. And notice, just go back for a second in Mark and go to chapter 5, look at verse 18. Jesus had gone through this area and it says he was getting into the boat after he had healed the man. Uh, Mark 5, 18, he was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. He wanted to go wherever Jesus went after being healed so incredibly. 
And Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you, Mark 5, 20. And when he went away, uh, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, there's our word again, what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. You see, God was working on a couple of different levels as he always does, and he was preparing this region for the next time he would come through. And the formerly demon-possessed man did his job. Because the next time Jesus comes through here, the book of Matthew tells us that people begin in the Decapolis to flock to Jesus. And they begin to bring the sick and the demon-possessed. And that man had done his job. And I want to ask you a question. In your sphere of influence, how well have you done your job? How well have you made known the mercy that God has poured into your life? How have you been a witness in the places that God has placed you? The Decapolis literally means the ten cities, as I mentioned. If you're interested in the names of the cities, they are Scythopolis, Hippos, Gadara, Pella, Philadelphia, Garesa, Dion, Canatha, Rafana, and Damascus. Only Damascus seems to still have its ancient name today. When they dug up the uh, excavations, they found elegant the uh, amphitheaters, ruins of amphitheaters, seating 5,000 people, forums, countless pagan statues, monuments honoring various gods of the Greek pantheon, including Zeus, Aphrodite, Athena, Artemis, Hercules, Dionysus, and Demeter. In Jewish thought, in the rabbis taught that when Joshua took the land of Canaan, later to be known as the land of Israel, he pushed seven nations across to the other side of the lake, the eastern side of the lake, and that's how they ended up there. Those seven nations are mentioned in Joshua 3.10. Just write it down for your notes. They were dispossessed by Joshua, and they were Canaanite, Hittite, Hivite, Perizzite, Girgashite, Amorite, Jebusite, and if you want to add an eighth, Coronite. Just kidding. There are only seven. And Joshua pushed them uh, outside the promised land, or if you will, to the other side of the lake, and that's where they were. Acts 13, 19, uh, it's mentioned he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. So to the Jewish mind, this was the dark side of the sea. This was the pagan side of the lake. This is where people worship the devil, the disciples never wanted to go back to this place again, especially after how they were treated the first time. Because after Jesus heals the man with legion, the demons go into the pigs. Remember, they go off the cliff, and the herdsmen and the people of the town say, please, remember, leave now. We do not want you here anymore. And Jesus got into the boat and left, and the disciples were probably going, Woo! good let's never never go back there lord and here they are back there again and jesus is about to do another feeding miracle mark 8 1 says in those days again when there was a great multitude they had nothing to eat jesus called his disciples to himself again another miracle here's what goes on if you look at mark 6 52 just let me remind you of what was going on in the hearts of the disciples and this will tell us why he did it again Mark 6.52 says, For they, the disciples, had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was what? 
hardened. They had not gained any insight, not one smidgen, apparently, of insight from the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children. Didn't get it, didn't understand it, didn't understand the spiritual connotation, so it's going to be repeated once again. Here's a key passage. Write this down for your notes. This is Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. It says, You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. The last book of Moses says these words, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled you and let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live on bread alone. You remember, Bible students? but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God did this. He let you go hungry. He let you look to him for provision that he might make you understand that God is the one who brings the spiritual bread. Now notice what happens. Mark 8, 2, we pick up the account. Jesus said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they've remained with me now three days And have nothing to eat. I'm not sure if they ran out of provisions or some people had a little bit of bread or all of a sudden, you know, the realization was that they didn't eat in three days. Can you imagine? No food for three days? That's a long time. That's kind of when you start getting desperate. And the Bible says that Jesus felt compassion for them. The question is, did the disciples? Did they feel the same amount of compassion that Jesus did? Do you know, brothers and sisters, if you let compassion drive your life, you will do a lot of good things. If you let criticism drive your life, you will be in a lot of negative places. Let me ask you, in your normal week in life, does compassion drive most of your decision-making, most of your comments to others, or does criticism? Which is it? Well, for the disciples, they had been arguing left and right. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus said, look, I've come not to be served, but to serve. The, the theme verse of Mark's gospel is right behind me. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus was trying to shape the hearts of the disciples. He was trying to show them the compassion of Almighty God. And that's what it says in the Bible about God. He's full of compassion And Jesus had compassion for the multitudes. The question is, do we feel compassion? One writer says, compassion could be defined this way. It is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the pain and remove its cause. Do you have compassion? You know, sometimes we run across people and sometimes we just fail in the compassion area. We might say to someone, be warm, be filled, I'll pray for you. But do we relieve maybe the immediate need that is quite obvious to us? Jesus was concerned that these people were going to faint from lack of food. He said, "Uh, if I send them away, look at verse 3, hungry to their home, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a distance. Some of these people came a long way. And his disciples, in a response once again of great faith, answered him and said, Where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread here in a desolate place? The New King James says here in the wilderness. Lord, where are we going to find bread for 4,000 men plus women and children? Hello? Is this a replay? Didn't we just have this situation? Now some commentators say maybe they said it with a smile. 
Maybe they didn't want to be presumptuous thinking that he would do another food miracle. So it was something like this. Lord, where are we going to get enough bread? You know, right? Wink, wink. But I have a feeling that they said it with a lack of faith and maybe even a frustration. Maybe they hadn't eaten in a while. You ever get cranky when you haven't eaten for a while? Lord, I don't know where we're going to get enough bread to feed all these people. This is crazy, Lord. And their last solution was to send the people away. Get rid of them. And Jesus was asking them, look at verse 5, Mark 8. He said, how many loaves, key words, two little words, do you have? And they said, seven. Now, remember in the previous miracle, who was the one who delivered the little brown bag lunch that got multiplied? Do you remember who it was? It was a little boy. They went on a little mission to find out if anybody had packed a lunch. Anybody got peanut butter and jelly with chips? Man, let's find out. And they found a little boy with his lunch, and he was willing to give it. Remember, he said, here, if you can do anything, right? Five loaves, two fish. But this time, it's not the little boy. Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Oh, wait a minute now. (laughs) This is getting a little personal now. What do you mean, my loaves? We have seven. And Lord, I've been doing a little math. There's 12 of us plus you makes 13. There's a few stragglers around here keep following us everywhere we go. They have longing faces. They look like they're hungry. So I've been figuring out how to divide up the seven. All right? Where I'm going to tear it. I might tear it in a place that's in my favor. Right? So we have seven. But certainly the Lord's not going to ask for my bread. Where's that little kid? (laughs) Did he come on the other side of the lake? Somebody go find that little kid. He seems to be a planner. <laughs> no, I'm not sure if you heard me right. Where are your seven loaves? Oh, Lord, not my seven. Yeah, your seven. You see, it's pretty easy when someone else delivers the stuff to be multiplied. But when you're in my kitchen asking for my bread, we say stuff like this. Doesn't the church have one of those benevolence funds? Have you ever been in a position where you came across a need and you started thinking about options for that person and the Lord said something like this to your heart? No, I want you to take care of that need now. Well, uh, I only got $7, Lord. Then give the seven. But I was going to Del Taco. (laughs) Give the seven. I tend to think that there was a very poor attitude here. You guys hear the story about there are two people waiting for a plane and they were sitting next to each other and the one man went and bought some cookies while he was waiting for his flight. And so he had his nice oatmeal raisin cookies in the package and he, he you know, set them down and he got a little distracted and the woman came up and sat next to him and all of a sudden she grabbed his package of cookies and she began to open the cookies and he's like... <gasps> What in the world is she doing? And she took a cookie and she ate the cookies. How appalling, the nerve of her. So he took a cookie and he started eating it. It was kind of like a little face-off. And then the nerve of her, she took another cookie. Another one. And he was like boiling inside, but he couldn't get the words out. So he took a cookie. He started eating the cookie. Then they're looking at each other. She's looking at him. He's looking at her. And then he looked off to the right and he realized he had never opened his own cookies. (laughs) He was taking her cookies. Perspective, yes. And so the disciples need some fresh perspective. 
And Jesus directed the multitude, verse 6, to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves. You could hear the disciples in the background. I'm sure hope he's going to multiply stuff. <laughs> I just gave, the, I gave it away. Gave the seven. You know, the Lord's uh, quoted by Paul in Acts 20, 35. He says it's more blessed to what? Give than to receive. But I'm not sure we really believe that. I'm not sure we really believe that God could multiply stuff when we give it away. And so Jesus told the groups to sit down, big groups, taking the seven loaves. He gave thanks. He broke them. And he started giving them to his disciples to serve to them, to the people. And they served them to the multitude. I don't know how whiny they were as they did it. Took our bread. <laughs> There's 4,000 people plus women and children. How long do you think it took 12 men to serve Maybe 10,000 people? I'd say quite a while. And the implication of the language here is that they would come back with their, their basket and the more they came back, Jesus just kept serving it up and the disciples were learning how to serve. Do you hear the message here? You take your bread and you give it away. Jesus is the bread of God and they gave the bread and they served. Notice the repetition of the word serve in verses six and seven three times. And then verse 7 says, they also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them. Now there's a little pause here. It seems like the bread miracle is going on. And then all of a sudden it comes out, there's a couple fish around. I think somebody was hiding fish. Do you agree? It's a bit of speculation. But I think somebody had slipped a couple of fish right here just for safekeeping. You ever done that with your candy in the house? Oh no, son, there's no candy. <laughs> What's that in your pocket, Dad? Looks like the ERS on the end. Is that a Snickers? Oh, no. <laughs> Somebody apparently was hiding a few fish. I said at the first service, maybe it was Peter. Maybe they went up to Peter and said, Peter, you, you smell. <laughs> Things are a little fishy. Peter was a fisherman. And then a lady in the courtyard said, Pastor Michael, it wasn't Peter, it was Judas. Just had to be. Anyway, I don't even know. But. And so he blessed the fish and he ordered them to be served as well. You see, what the Lord really wants us to do is give ourselves away for the sake of the kingdom and we'll be blessed. John Wanamaker, founder of the famous Philadelphia department store that bears his name, was a devoted Christian. On a trip to China to observe Christian mission work there, he came across a small village where a group of Christians had begun building a church but lacked money to complete it. In a nearby field, he noticed a strange sight. It was the sight of a boy yoked together with an ox as they together pulled a plow held by the boy's father. Mr. Wanamaker's guide explained that the boy had promised his father, he said, Dad, if you will sell one of the oxen and give the money for the building of the church, I will take the oxen's place by pulling the plow. The story says that Mr. Wanamaker fell to his knees and said, Lord, let me be hitched to a plow that I may know the joy of sacrificial giving. Wow. You see, these are the kinds of lessons that I think the Lord wants us to try to act upon by faith, and sometimes we hold back. In Mark 9, if you skip ahead for a second, here's what's going on in the apostles' hearts. Look at verse 33, Mark 9, 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he, Jesus, was in the house, he began to question them, he said, what were you discussing on the way? Mark 9, 34. But they kept silent for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. 
And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all. And what shall he be? Servant of all. You see, the Lord was doing these miracles and he was working in the lives of the apostles to try to get them to understand things about the kingdom of God. Do you not yet understand? And that's why he does a lot of things in our lives as well, that we might get the message. So the people ate, look at verse 8, Mark 8, and they were satisfied and they picked up seven large baskets. The word here in Greek means hamper size. In fact, this word is used of the Apostle Paul being lowered in a basket, I believe in Damascus. So the size is like a hamper size and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was, uh, what was left over of the broken pieces and about 4,000, write down Matthew 15, 38, because it says, besides women and children, were fed, were there, and he sent them away. So some believe the number four represents the four corners of the earth of the Gentiles, and they picked up how many? Seven huge baskets full. They ended up with more than what they started, you guys. Do you believe God can do that in your life? Do you believe that if you lay down the things that you tend to hold back from God, he can bless you beyond what you could ask or imagine? I'm standing here today telling you that God does that. He's done it in my own life. I've given him what I uh, deemed pretty weak offerings, especially myself, because I look at myself sometimes and I say, boy, that, I guess that's all I can give you, Lord. And the Lord multiplies things in your life. And so about 4,000 were fed. They picked up seven baskets. Seven nations were pushed to the other side of the lake. Twelve baskets were picked up on the Jewish side of the lake, seven on the Gentile side of the lake. And Jesus is saying, do you not understand? I'm the bread of life for the 12, the Jewish nations, the 12 tribes, and I'm the bread of life for the seven, the seven that were driven out of Canaan. I am the bread of life for the whole world. Everybody needs me. I don't care where you live. I don't care what your skin color is, your background is. Uh, your bank account says everybody needs the Lord. Everybody. And if you live life without the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be starving for the bread of God. Tom Brady, Harrison Ford, interviewed. Come on, I mean, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, all these big hits. What's the one thing you wish you had that you don't have now that you've had all this success? Harrison Ford, inner peace. Tom Brady, you've won all these Super Bowls. What's the one thing you wish you had that you don't have? Inner peace. What? They're on the mountaintop. They've gotten everything that the world says is important, right? Wrong. You see, you are going to be hungry until you meet your maker. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples, verse 10, and he came to the district of Dalmanutha. In Matthew, it's the region of Magadan, Matthew 15, 39. It's the same region. Alfred Edersheim, who wrote on the life of Jesus, observed that the Lord ended each phase of his ministry with a feeding. He ended the ministry in Galilee with the feeding of the 5,000. He ended the ministry in the Gentile area with the feeding of the 4,000. He ended the Judean ministry before his death, on the cross with the feeding of his own in the upper room. So Jesus now moves to the western side of the lake, the Jewish side, and the Pharisees, verse 11, came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. What more did they need to see? 
They did not deny his miracles, but they attributed his miracles to who? Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus said, you're going to ask for a sign, but you're not getting one. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, right? As Jonah was in the belly of the great sea monster three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The sign that you're going to get is the resurrection, but that's all you're going to get. And Jesus looked up to heaven, and I don't know what the sigh was like, but he was like, oh, Father, they just don't understand. Everywhere he turned, he met people with dull ears and blind eyes. And he continued to show them the heart of God and the work of God, and they asked for more. Never enough, and they're testing him. And Jesus took a deep sigh. He said, you're not getting a sign, and he left them. And again, he again embarked and went away to the other side, back to Bethsaida Julius this time. Arkent Hughes says, Christ was angry. What a terrible thing it is to have Christ turn his back on you and sail away. But that is ultimately what he does to those who continually refuse his revelation. There comes a time when he gives no more signs, no more help and understanding. But then he asks, what about those who follow him? And they had forgotten to take bread, so Jesus took uh, into the boat, he went to the other side, but the disciples forgot, verse 14, to take bread, and did not have more than one loaf uh, in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, and he said, watch out, 15, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they, the disciples, began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now Jesus brings up leaven. Leaven is yeast. And what what does that do? It makes bread rise. Jesus, using a bread metaphor, says, Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He was not speaking about literal leaven. How many of you have tried to go on some of those diets where they try to get you to eat gluten-free? Can I get a witness? Sometimes maybe you have a sickness or you're trying to get healthier and you go gluten-free, right? I tried it for a while. I ate some of the bread that they said was gluten-free. I believe it was cardboard. And I was, I don't think I ever prayed so hard. Lord, let me not be. Let me not have a gluten intolerance. I love everything that has gluten. Pasta, bread, cupcakes, donuts, (laughs) everything. Please, Lord. The Lord answered that prayer. Praise God. We do have to be careful how we eat. Leaven is a type of sin in the Bible, Leviticus 2.11, 1 Corinthians 5.6-8, Galatians 5.9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Be careful. Jesus is saying, be careful what kind of bread you eat. And in the Bible, leaven can represent sin, hypocrisy, perhaps here unbelief, and even false doctrine. Brothers and sisters, please hear me. Be careful what kind of spiritual bread you eat. Be careful who you listen to. There are some guys who are in some markets right now who look good and speak well, but I would very carefully measure what they're telling you. Because just because they look good and sound good, it's not always good doctrine. Be careful what kind of bread you eat. Everybody with me? That's what Jesus was saying. And they're saying, why didn't... Who was supposed to bring the bread? I don't know. I thought it was his turn to bring the bread. 
And Jesus says, aware of this, look at 17, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Why are you talking about physical bread? That's not what I'm talking about. Two feeding miracles later. Apparently they still don't get it. And Jesus is about to hit them with, in staccato fashion with a list of questions. He says, having eyes, do you not see? Look at verse 18. Having ears, do you not hear? Have you ever said this to your children before? Parents, you might want to mark these verses. Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? Can you feel the disciples shrinking as he talks to them? How many pieces did you pick up, class? Everybody look at verse uh, 19. And they said to him, probably all together. Why don't we all say it together? Twelve. <laughs> Can you picture the classroom scene here? He says, verse 20, When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, class, seven. <laughs> and he says, do you not yet understand? One commentator, <laughs> he brings some light to this. He says, there was a man. He says, some people need some extra help. Like the man who went into a bank, said he wanted some money. The teller asked him to make out a, a check, uh, to make out the check and the, to sign it. So she says, just sign it and you'll get the money. But he wouldn't sign the check. So she said, if you won't sign the check, I won't give you the money. So the man went across the street to another bank where the same conversation took place. But after this exchange, the teller reached across the counter, took him by the ears, and banged his head three times on the counter. <laughs> after which the man took out a pen and calmly signed a check. The man returned to the first bank and said, they gave me money across the street. How did that happen, asked the teller. Well... They explained it to me. <laughs> and all God's people said, bang, bang. Do you, I don't know how many questions there. There's like seven questions. Jesus said, do you not see? Bang. Do you not understand? Bang. Anybody got noggin like that? Hello? That's kind of what's going on here. Jesus says, don't you understand? How many times do I have to drive the same lesson into your noggins? I'm getting ready to go away. You're going to have to take the ball and run with it. Get ready. And they sat there. And you know, I'm sure after this particular lesson and this encounter, they contemplated what he said. Now quickly, well, this miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 is between a man whose ears are unstopped by Jesus sticking his fingers into his ears and using his saliva and a man who's going to be healed of blindness. Let's, we'll just read it quickly and I'll show you how it all fits together. They came to Bethsaida, 22, and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand. This is beautiful. Jesus leads him. He brought him out of the village. I'm not sure this guy really knew what hand he was holding here. But Jesus said the Pharisees are like the blind leading the blind. But Jesus leading you by the hand is where you want to be. He led him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes, wow, the second use of saliva, as we've seen here, I think the message is, you need my DNA, you need my life in you. And he laid his hands upon him, and he asked him, do you see anything? 
And he looked up and said, I see men, for I am seeing them like trees walking about. This seems to indicate the man was not born blind. He knew what trees looked like. So this is the only miracle in the New Testament that I know of, you guys, where it's not an instantaneous healing. The only one that I know of where it took, it was like a gradual thing. And Jesus said, what do you see? And he said, well, I, I see men walking around like trees and it's not all clear. They're walking about. And again, Jesus laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to what? See everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Do you see that in between the feeding miracle the unstopping of the ears and the opening of the eyes is what had to happen to who? To the disciples, and it has to happen to us. And sometimes, here's the hope that we have, sometimes it happens gradually. Sometimes our eyes open a little bit more as the Lord works in our life. And I hope that gives you hope, because for me personally, that's how it's been. In the first five years of my walk, the Lord was knocking me over the head quite often. Can I get a witness? And he was saying, Michael, that has to go. You want to serve me? That has to go. And sometimes I would wrestle and fight God, and then I released it to him, and he gave me something a thousand times better in exchange for that. You see, he wanted them to see everything clearly, and that's what he wants for you and me. Father, thank you for your word. We want to hear the voice of the Spirit today directing us, showing us your glory. Lord, forgive us for the many times that you have knocked on the door of our heart and our hearts have been hard. I believe you sent the disciples into the storm after the feeding of the 5,000 to soften their hearts. But they were a work in progress and so are we. And I just want to thank you for your patience. I want to thank you that you are a patient God. And that you don't give up on us. You keep working. You keep knocking. You keep showing us things in the world that have spiritual points to them. And we want to see what you have to say, Father. With your heart and head bowed, if the Lord's been knocking on the door of your heart and maybe you've just been ignoring it or maybe you've just been finding a way to, to just not deal with it, now's the time. The most important thing to do right now is to trust in Jesus Christ. If you want to do that today, if you want the bread of life, you want your sin forgiven, you want to have the hope of heaven when you die, you want to have life during life, full life, abundant life, now's the time to take in the bread of life. It's something like this if it's you. Pray it out loud. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Something very similar. Lord Jesus, pray it out loud if it's you. Come into my life. I'm sorry for my sin. And I'm sorry for my hard heart. Please forgive me, Lord. Thank you that you came and died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you rose to defeat my mortal enemy, death itself. I believe in you, and I trust in you. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of doing it my way, and I'm going to try to do it your way by your help, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just keep your head and heart bowed. Father, for those who have made a decision, even in the quietness of their soul. May you lift their burdens. May you give them the bread of life. May you fill them with your Holy Spirit. May your living waters wash over this precious congregation. Thank you for this beautiful, redeemed community, Lord. 
Thank you for the smiles on their faces, the way that they serve selflessly, the way that they give to all the different ministries of this fellowship. Bless them, Lord. Bless each family that's represented here. Give us the bread of God, which is Jesus Christ. Let us take in more and more of your word. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Father, let us be in our Bibles this week. Let us take in the nourishment for our souls and let us grow to see things more clearly, to see the world as you see it, to have our ears opened and our eyes seeing. Give us spiritual 2020 vision, Lord. Renew our faith. Strengthen our lives to see all the blessings that we have in Christ. So many that we take for granted. Fill us, God, with all that you are so that we can give it away this week and watch you resupply blessings in our lives. We love you. We worship you and we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.